chapter 6 together tonight. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be seeing that on Wednesdays, but we're also going to be, I think it's November, we're going to be learning or teaching the whole congregation. So you guys will be 10 steps ahead of everybody, okay? Uh, and you can help us sing it so everybody can learn it when we teach it to the congregation. We're studying the prayer life of our Lord Jesus. And as we have studied through this topic already, I hope, I hope, I hope that if you have no other motivation for prayer, that this will become a key motivator for a prayer life. If Jesus needed, wanted to pray, we must follow his example. We desperately need to spend time with God in prayer. We've made this statement. Prayer was the essence of Christ's relationship with his Father. We will very many times in the Gospels find Jesus praying. We will find him talking to God. He isn't always bowing his head or closing his eyes. He isn't always on his knees. Many times the prayer will be in conversation. There are times that his prayers are in times of desperation, in times of praise, in times of thanksgiving, even in times of death. But we very often read about Jesus talking to God. And I do want you to see that there is more to prayer than bowing your head and closing your eyes. Prayer is our, is our verbal expression of our dependence upon God. And that doesn't have to be done with bowed head and closed eyes. It can be done driving down the road. Please don't bow your head and close your eyes while you're driving down the road. It can be done while you're in a conversation with somebody. One of the reasons, and I said this on Sunday night, I love the book of Nehemiah. I mentioned that to you. But one of the reasons I love the book of Nehemiah is because there will be times that Nehemiah is in conversation with somebody else. For instance, there's one time he's actually in conversation with the king. And the king asked, and apparently Nehemiah is burdened. He's burdened to the point that it shows on his face and and, and you didn't go into the, into the presence of the king with a, with a sad countenance. You, you, you could lose your life. That's just the way things were. But apparently he was so burdened about the situation back in his homeland of, of, of Jerusalem that it was showing on his face. And the king asked him, Why, what, what's wrong, Nehemiah? And, and the Bible says when he asked, when the king asked him that question, Nehemiah took some time in his thoughts and in his heart. It says, and I pray. And you'll read that phrase a few times in the book of Nehemiah. When he's in conversation, when he hears, gets news, and I pray. There, there are times in conversations throughout our day that we don't have to bow our head and close our eyes. We can, we can be in a conversation. I, I, I often find myself, as a matter of fact, most of the time find myself when I'm in a counseling situation, a person sitting across a table or wherever we are, and they're telling me, they're talking. I'm sitting there going, God, I have no idea what's in this person. Please 
Help us both. Jesus was very, very often in prayer. It was the essence of his relationship with his Father. And if Jesus needed to pray, we do too. We've talked about his practice of prayer, and these are some of the things we talked about. He prayed regularly. He often prayed alone. He didn't always pray alone, but he very oftentimes did. And as a matter of fact, there were times that he would go away from everybody else so he could pray. Getting, getting alone, getting away. And he, at times, prayed great lengths of time. We're, we're, we're told on several occasions that he prayed all night long. He agonized. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And when I don't know that that literally means that he actually sweat blood. I tend to think that it, he probably did. There is a medical condition that the body can be under such strain that you're actually, you, you bleed through the, the, the pores of your skin. I think the devil was trying to kill him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was under such strain, he was bleeding through his, the, the pores in his skin. Some say it was just an expression to describe the, his agony. Either way, either way, he was agonizing in prayer. And he prayed all night. We talked about the fact that he prayed at very specific times in his life. He prayed at his baptism. And we said that that was probably a prayer that he was dedicating himself to the ministry he was about to begin. He prayed before choosing the apostles. This was one of the times he actually spent all night in prayer. And we talked about who he was praying for. He was praying for the one who would eventually betray him. He's praying for Judas Iscariot. He's praying for Matthew, who's a tax collector, a crook. He's praying for Simon the Zealot, who was, a, who was basically a terrorist. All right? He, he's praying for James and John, the sons of thunder, men who had struggles with anger. He's praying for people that are going to be following him that really aren't super Christians. He's praying for people like us. He was praying before his death. We mentioned that in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he also prayed while he was dying. Father, forgive them. Over and over he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Tonight we want to move on a little bit and talk about characteristics of his prayer. In other words, when he prayed, what kind of things did he say? I've asked you to go to Matthew 6 because this is kind of his model for praying. <clears throat> now, he didn't always pray <clears throat> all these elements. <clears throat> But he did specifically say, when you pray, pray like this. See, notice there in verse number nine, after this manner, in other words, pray this way. They, the, the apostles or some of the, some of the, um, one of the apostles has asked, teach us to pray. And Jesus says in verse nine, all right, when you pray, do it this way. Start out with Praise. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we're going to say that one of the characteristics of our Lord's praying is this thing of communion. And what I mean by that is 
is he literally has God's ear. And God is listening. And folks, that really is one of the most blessed things about being able to pray. Knowing, knowing that God is listening. It's also one of the most humbling things about prayer. God is listening. And he has, he has obligated himself to do this. Now, I do think the Lord is trying to help us know how to approach God, know how to begin this time of communion. And it ought to begin with a recognition of who we're talking to. Hallowed be thy name. Uh, look over in chapter, Luke chapter 11. Remember what we said about Luke? In the prayers of Jesus, what do we say? Who talks about Jesus' prayers more than any of the other gospel writers? Luke. All right? And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed, holy, set apart is your name. Let's do a little scripture searching, all right? Go back to Exodus chapter 3, please. Exodus chapter 3. Now I want you to look at verse number 14. Here, here is actually, technically, the name of God if we can say it that way, that God were a, a name for God. And, he, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. All right? So when we are approaching God, we are approaching the great I am. Now, I don't know that anybody until eternity, and even then, I don't know, if we will ever completely understand all that the phrase I am that I am includes. But we do know this about it. It means God is, God has been, and God always will be. He is right now as He has ever been and ever will be. There is no time with God God is in always eternally in the present. I am, he says. And incidentally, if you go to John chapter 8, you'll find the scribes and the Pharisees ready to stone our Lord Jesus because he takes that name for himself. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Go to Psalm 83, please. Psalm 83. I want you to look at verse number 18. That men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah art the most high over all the earth. 
this is one of the, actually one of the few times that that word or that name is written out in the Bible, Jehovah. Most of the time, it's translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In other words, whenever you see all of those letters capitalized, for instance, in chapter in Psalm 85, the first word, it's all caps. It's the same as Jehovah. And incidentally, it's the name that refers to the saving grace of God. I personally believe that when you see the name Jehovah in the Old Testament, it is referring to Jesus. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, and look at verse number 8, please. I, the word am is italicized, so we could actually read it this way. I, Jehovah... I am Jehovah, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. We have seen the immensity of God described in his name. The immensity and the infinity of God. I am that I am. We've seen the saving grace in his name, Jehovah. We've seen the power of his name. That's who we're talking to. When we bow our head or when we begin a conversation with God Almighty, that's who we're talking to. So it is not a communion, it's not a time of communication that ought to be taken lightly or treated Lightly. It is a holy time. And everywhere you pray is a holy place. Because we are coming in a unique way into the presence of Almighty God. And he wants us to. He commands us to. But he shouldn't have to. It's a time of communion. We see that in our Lord's life. We see times, especially in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is an amazing Record of a prayer that Christ made soon before his crucifixion. And you, you I, I actually, and, and, and you may think I'm odd more so than normal here. Whenever I read John 17, I almost want to whisper. I, I almost want, I almost just, I almost, I'm almost embarrassed to, to read it because it's, it's obvious 
that Jesus is opening his heart to his Father. And I feel like I'm invading privacy. And yet, that's how God wants us to come to him. In a time of reverent, personal, heart-filled communication with him. Another characteristic of our Lord's prayer was submission. Submission. Now I want to look at a few chapters of Scripture with you. Go over to the book of Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 5. Look down, if you would, at verse number 7. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 7. Who in the days of his flesh, we're talking about <clears throat> Jesus here. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he, the idea of the word fear here is reverence, on all of, an awe, A-W-E of God. Another, another translation says it this way, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And again, my, my finite brain goes, okay, how, how can I wrap understanding around God praying to God? I, I, I can't understand that, but God in flesh needed to pray to God his Father. And he did so with, broke, with, with a broken heart, with tears and, and, and anguish. And reverence. And, and reverence, what are we talking about? Reverence is a submissive spirit. Reverence is a submissive attitude. Mark chapter 14, you don't have to go here, but Mark chapter 14, Jesus uses the word Abba, Father. Now, I don't personally think that, that Jesus is saying Daddy here. Sometimes we hear say, hear people say, well, that word means daddy. Well, it could, and it does in certain situations. That's what little children called their fathers, Abba, Father. But I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying daddy. I think what Jesus is saying here is he is, is, he is acknowledging his father and he is acknowledging his position as son. He's submitting. God submitting to God. And you know what? That, that really is an essence or characteristic of what prayer ought to be. Prayer ought to be a time when you and I align ourselves where we ought to be with God. Prayer ought to be a time of verbal humbling before God. A time when we recognize 
who he is and who we are. The proverbial lightning bolt and lightning bug. Jesus felt it necessary as part of his praying to submit. We, we see that back in Matthew 6 in his model prayer for us. Our Father which art in heaven, the idea, you're, you're in heaven, we're down here. You're up there, we're not. And so, a characteristic of our Lord's prayers is submission. But it's also, we'll see, a characteristic was praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. When our Lord did his miracle of feeding 5,000 men and their wives and children by breaking bread and handing out fish, he prayed. On the night that he was celebrating the Last Supper, Passover, it wasn't called the Last Supper at that point, it's a name we've given it, but he was celebrating Passover, he broke bread and blessed it. He praised the Lord for it. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, we read this. And at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto baby. Now, that's a pretty amazing and actually somewhat troubling thing for our Lord to be thankful for. He was thanking God that there were people who did not understand the gospel and that there were those who did. He was thanking God that God was hiding the truth from some. Now, I'm not going to go there and try to explain that. I'm going to leave that with God and let that be God. But that's a pretty astounding thing to be thankful for, all right? John chapter 6, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sat down. Luke chapter 22, he took the cup and he gave thanks, and he gave it to his disciples. So our Lord's prayer, our Lord's prayer life, characterized by communion, submission, and thanksgiving. Now that's not all the things that Jesus prayed about. There was asking. He prayed for himself. He prayed for others. But I wanted you to see somewhat of the the undergirding, if I can put it that way, the, 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 the heart of the prayers of our Lord, they weren't all made up of a, I was going to say laundry list, 
or shopping list of what he wanted, what he was praying for for himself. For our Lord Jesus, his prayer time was more about spending time with God, God than getting something from God. You understand what I'm saying? His prayer time was more about communicating with his father, submitting himself to his father, aligning himself. And again, it's hard for us to think in these terms related to deity, but it's true. He was aligning himself with, and he always did the will of his father. And one of the ways that he did the will of his father was by praying, spending time with God. And he was, Aligning himself with the will of God for his life. And it was a time to acknowledge God more than ask God. And, and, and asking God is not bad. Jesus does that. We'll talk about that more willing next time. But the heart of his prayer focused on God, not him. And sometimes I do think we miss that. And maybe even our prayer times like Wednesday nights or in our Sunday school classes or whatever, they end up being times where we just ask for things more than acknowledge our God and honor Him. You see, prayer, prayer is more than just taking your shopping list to God and asking Him to fill it. There's communion. It's submission. It's a praising because of who we're talking.